this evening. Please turn in your Bible with me to uh, the very tail end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Um, so you can just crack open the back cover and uh, you remember the, uh, we started the, the journey through this idea of tracing light uh, throughout the whole course of the Bible. We started at the other end of the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 1, considering the character of God's light, uh, how it reflects God's character and how we as God's creation need to do the same. Uh, we looked at uh, the lampstand in the temple, um, how it is our light to minister and to see in a world otherwise filled with uh, darkness. We looked at the fact that Christ calls us in Matthew chapter 5 to be a shining city on a hill, uh, sharing our light with those, even those who would persecute us so that they too would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven alongside us. And now we, we find ourselves at the end of this path, uh, in fact, the, the end of all things, as John sometimes refers to it, uh, here in Revelation, uh, John's great vision of uh, the, the city of God and the culmination of all things here in Revelation chapter 21. So we're paying careful attention to the way that uh, light is shown here uh, through uh, the vision of God himself. So we'll begin in Revelation uh, chapter 21 and read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll skip down to verse 22. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV this evening, uh, and that's where your uh, cross-references are as well. So listen and hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throng saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And now we'll jump to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And that's where we'll end the reading of God's word. Thanks be to him for this gift. Well, if you've been uh, watching any news, uh, particularly news regarding technology, uh, on Monday there was a big announcement from Apple that people have been watching and waiting about for years. Uh, 
probably something none of us is going to be jumping out at, <laughs> uh, but it, there was their uh, mixed reality headset, the Apple Vision Pro, this uh, nearly $4,000 pair of glasses that you put on your head to escape the world that you see and instead enter into not quite a virtual reality, not quite a computer reality, but a, a mixed reality between the two. Uh, sort of overlays things onto the real world, and then if you want to, you can just press a button and immerse yourself into this other world, and it'll actually give you a, a fake environment around you for you to live and enjoy your content in. Uh, and, uh, of course, there are many who would decry this and say, come on, can't we just live in the real world? Why are we trying to escape? There are those who, I'm sure, are saying this is the next step, the next leap forward. All we need to do is, is just take the next step and, and go. Uh, and I think uh, there, there are... Uh, naysayers on both sides, and I, uh, I don't think any of them is totally <laughs> wrong, perhaps. Uh, but what, what would happen if we could sort of take this idea, this idea of looking at the world and having something just overlaid on top of it, uh, and apply a spiritual lens to this, right? Wouldn't life be quite a bit different and quite a bit easier if, as we looked around, there were just something that said, yes, do this, no, don't do that. You can worry about this. Just forget about that. Uh, that's not even worth your time. Uh, if we could just sort of see the whole world with exactly the right perspective and something just telling us everywhere we looked exactly how to view everything. And of course, we know that, that this book is that lens. We know that the Bible gives us that vision. And yet, day to day, as we go forth, it becomes really hard to apply this truth uh, it becomes really hard to keep our eyes fixed on the right thing and have the right perspective and have the right lens over the world. And this passage uh, that John gives uh, sort of gives a, a new meaning, if you will, to what uh, Jonathan Edwards once said, uh, not really foretelling the apple glasses, but he said, Lord, stamp eternity onto my eyeballs. Right? And John, John does that here with the vision that God gives him. He he gives us a fresh look, uh, a, a beautiful look, a really powerful vision of what eternity looks like so that we can keep that fixed on our eyes, that we can look at the whole world with this vision, this vision for the future, and take comfort. And that uh, is our main point for this sermon this evening, that you need to take hope that you reign with Christ's light right now. And no matter what is happening in the whole rest of the world, you can keep your eyes fixed on Christ's eternal light and take hope from that light. Uh, children, if you are uh, drawing a picture, I think I've asked you to draw a picture of uh, what, what the world looks like, uh, who can be in this future world, and, and how exactly it is that you can practice light. And is there anybody who can't come into this future uh, with Christ. Uh, go ahead and draw that, that picture as you're drawing this evening. Well, our first thing we should notice from this passage is that we need to rely on the fact that Christ's light, light will reign. We need to rely on the fact that Christ's light will reign. This passage is, is so refreshing. It's so beautiful to just sort of step back and look at it and, and take it all in. And, and I imagine for John, it, it was almost literally a, a rapturous, pardon the pun, uh, image uh, to take in. Yeah, I have a couple of Baptists that left. That's good. Uh, or former Baptists like me. So uh, this should hit us like a, a breath of fresh air, right? That there is something, we've gone through 20 chapters of chaos and embattlement and, and difficulty 
always knowing that God is going to win and not yet seeing it. Uh, and this chapter here finally gives us that, that breath of fresh air, that stepping out of everything and just seeing the beauty that God has in store for us. Uh, very important for us to note, if we look back at, at verse 22 of chapter 21, uh, we see uh, this, this city coming down uh, out of heaven, adorned as a bride. We just sang about this bride being made ready for her husband. And now uh, he equates this city to a temple. Uh, and actually, that's the language we get earlier on in chapter 21, that the dwelling place of God is with man. It could also mean the tabernacle of God is with man. And John says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And if you think back with me to Genesis chapter 1, we considered the fact that God built the whole world to be a, a cosmic temple for his glory. And everybody in the whole world was going to be worshiping and glorifying God in this temple of all of reality. And what a blessing it was to see that, but then to see that collapsed into the tabernacle and the temple that was carried with just Israel seemed like the light was fading, like it was waning into just this tall, this small pocket of reality. And yet what John is showing is, no, this is the future. This is actually all of the world happening again. And, and remember that lampstand that was placed in the temple that we all grew up with, John would say to these people, you, you know what I'm talking about, and yet that doesn't exist in this temple city. That doesn't exist because it's actually a lamb. And it was always meant to be a lamb. This is, uh, if you have the NIV version of the Bible, your chapter heading here says Eden restored. And that's, that's truly what's happening here. All of creation is once again made to be the tabernacle and temple of God with one thing shining above everything. It's worship on the cosmic scale with the lamb as the lamp and the light. Uh, and we see even here that the nations are walking in the light of the lamb. By its light will the nations walk, in verse 24, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. This is not that the kings of earth have uh, sort of glory that is due to them, that they're bundling in and sort of setting it down there. But every king of every nation is not taking the glory due them and passing it on. They're actually giving their own glory. They're praising the Lord. And this sort of is what strikes us as very difficult about this passage. We see this very obviously as a future thing, right? This is the culmination of history. This is Christ being raised up and all the nations walking. And we don't, we don't live in a world like that. We, we don't live in a Revelation 21, 22 world. We live in a Psalm 2 world. And I put some verses from Psalm 2 in your outline in case that's not a familiar text, right? We, we read at the beginning of the Psalm, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Yeah, we live in a world like that. Right, where all the kings and the rulers of the earth seem to say, get the shackles of God off of me, which are really no shackles at all. Right? We live in a world that doesn't understand the blessing and the glory of God. We live in a Psalm 2 world. That's the first half of Psalm 2. But the next verses that I put in your outline are the second half of Psalm 2, the command of God being fulfilled. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear 
and rejoice with trembling. And that's what we see happening here. Because God's word is true. And he is faithful to accomplish everything that he says he's going to accomplish. And so when he tells the kings of the earth, bow down and worship and kiss the sun, they will do it. It may take time. It may take a long time. But it will happen. We will live in a city fed by the light of the Lamb where the, where the nations truly do come in and worship God. And these gates are open all the time. The gates to this city, that's the next thing we see. The kings of the earth bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day. Right? These kings are, are bringing commerce right, into the city. They can just constantly march in with glory to give God because that's what he deserves as a constant stream of glory entering the city. But on top of that, there's something else about the gates being open, right? And we don't live uh, here in America in a bunch of walled cities. Uh, This is a very foreign idea to us, but oftentimes, right, walls are there for protection, and your only way of entry into a city is gates, and you leave them open during the day for commerce, and then you shut them to close that so that no outside enemies can get in. But John sees a city where the gates are just open all the time. And part of that is because he says there's no night there. The lamp of the light of the Lamb will never, ever, 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 ever go out. But also, you don't have to be afraid and shut the gates because there are no more enemies. Every enemy of Christ and of his people has been defeated. We even see that uh, in the beginning of chapter 21. He says, the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The sea is a vision of chaos in Hebrew and ancient Near Eastern cultures. Even that has gone away. Everything is in peaceful order and restored under Christ's rule. There'll be no tear, there'll be no death, there'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain, nothing is left, not one enemy. And this is what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, He says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And that is what we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, that Christ has truly defeated every single enemy. I read a story a while back of a man named Teruo Nakamura, which is probably a name that doesn't ring a bell to most people. Uh, But uh, this man was found uh, in 1980 or 1972, I believe it was, uh, found in Indonesia in the jungles carrying a gun from 40 years prior, from the mid-1940s. There's a Japanese man who had been fighting in Indonesia and his, uh, his troop had sort of gotten lost in the woods, taken cover uh, in the jungle, tried to find a way to, to hunker down and stay safe. Some of them died because they ran out of rations. Some of them were found and pulled away. Some of them uh, simply uh, sort of faded over the years. And, and he wandered out of the jungle in his World War II Japanese uniform and was wondering what was going on and why aren't people angry and screaming and fighting And somebody had to tell him the war's been over for 40 years now. And you can imagine what that man felt like 
But he was not the only one. There was somebody who had done the same thing 10 months later and somebody who did the same thing five years after that and somebody who did the same thing another 20 years later. In 2005, there were two men who were discovered, right? And, and we look at a war like that and go, well, obviously this is finished, right? We finished World War II almost 80 years ago. This is, this is truly history for us. And yet, why don't they understand that? And this is, this is how it can be in our battle with sin and with the effects of sin, with mourning and with crying and with pain, right? It feels like sometimes these things just pop up seemingly out of nowhere and you say, don't you understand the victory that I have in Christ? Why are you coming and tormenting me again? Why is this soldier of Satan just popping up again and again and again? Don't you know what I've won? And meditating on a passage like this reminds us that Christ's reign is absolute. There are no more soldiers popping up. Sin is not going to rear its ugly head and try to torment you anymore because Christ reigns absolutely in this future. So we should meditate on this coming truth. We should take time not just to to read the Bible and pray about what a, a single passage is teaching us, but really think about what this means for our communion and our fellowship with God in the future. We should Uh, not be, as some have said of Christians, so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. We shouldn't be like that. We should be meditating on what that means for us right now. Meditating on the fact that when sin rears its ugly head, that we're fighting for a king who's going to win. And we can march forth as soldiers under that king who's winning the battle against sin and the king who has won it. When death comes calling, as it does for many of us and for our friends. We should walk alongside these fellow soldiers and cheer them on and march with them, knowing that we all fight and serve a mighty king. And when coworkers are hurting from the lies of the world, we should put ourselves out in danger in the front lines because we serve a king who has won and will win. So we can take hope and take action based on that hope when we rely on the fact that Christ's reign is coming. But how is it that we come to take action on this truth? And that's the second point we have this evening, that we need to fix our eyes on Christ's future light. We see this in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 22. Fix your eyes on Christ's future light. Here we see the result of Christ's total reign. We've seen now that that Christ has dispelled all darkness and dispelled all enemies and set up a city where his light is the only thing that is needed. Not even the sun that he created as a light bearer at the beginning of the world. That isn't even needed because we have direct access to God the Son. And we see in verses 3 through 5, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Nothing wicked or accursed is ever, ever going to enter this city. And as we saw before, the causes of all of these things are gone. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, and he'll wipe away every tear from their eye because it's so complete the victory that Christ has. They're former things. He says the former things have passed away. Can you imagine a world 
where pain and crying are a shadow of a memory, where they're former things. They have nothing to do with that world. And that's the, the beauty that God has for us in heaven when his light is shining. There's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more aches. There's no more injuries. There's no more broken relationships. No more hardships. No more divorces, disowning family members. No more abortion. No more miscarriages. No more denominational hurt. No crying. No mourning. God himself stoops down reaches his finger in our eye and wipes the tear away himself. At one point, uh, our family was out shopping and one of our daughters crawled under a, a shopping cart and I knew they were going to get hurt. And I said, no, don't do it. And they fell out. And they got hurt. And they started crying. And for just a moment, I thought, serves you right. Come on. And then I remembered that I'm a father. <laughs> and I stooped down and I picked her up and I held her and I talked to her about it. Right? And God is so much better a father than I am. Praise, praise him for that. Right? He can stoop down and he can wipe away the tears from our eyes because he cried those tears. He can, he can mourn that there is mourning. He can cry out that there is death because Christ himself mourned the death of others. Christ himself died death. As we heard from Pastor Philip this morning, Christ's death was more agonizing and more torturous than any other death that has ever been. And so when he comes to wipe the tear away, it's not, oh, stop that. It's, I know. I know. And now the light that is the lamb is lifted up. I keep on saying that, that lamb imagery, as we read through the book of Revelation, it's a common image. We see it all throughout, and we know this is the lamb that looked like it was slain and yet is alive. And this is a picture of Jesus, our Lord, who has indeed suffered death and mourning and misery and pain and aches and broken relationships from other people. And in his victory, he's lifted up so high that he replaces the sun and dispels the need of moon. There is only day here. And he draws us near to comfort us, right? The dwelling place of God is with man, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. We see his glory as we come and we worship him. We, we see his name written on our foreheads. We are, we are so fully taken into his family that he, he owns us. And, uh, and, and as the priests uh, in, the, in the book, in the Old Testament, sorry, had the name holy to the Lord written on their foreheads, right? we are just the Lord's. We're given a solid reminder that being near him and the light of his glory is the greatest comfort we can ever possibly receive. Uh, there's a, a Puritan in the name of Richard Baxter, who wrote uh, many, many, many works in his lifetime. And uh, one of them that's uh, recently been republished, uh, a book entitled The Saint's Everlasting Rest. And in it, he, he sort of gives just meditations on what heaven will be based off of scripture references. He just provides us 
a constant stream of glimpses into what the future will be. And at one point, he even sort of says, you know what, I don't know what it will be. It's going to be too glorious for us. It's going to be too good, but I'll just sort of throw down whatever I can that the Bible tells us and, and acknowledge that it's never going to be good enough because heaven is too good. But at one point, he states, the principal part of this rest is our nearest enjoyment of God, the chief good. If men and angels should study to speak the blessedness of that state in one word, what could they say beyond this? That it is the nearest enjoyment of God. Oh, the full joy is offered to a believer in that one sentence of Christ, Father, I desire that those whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. He says every word of that is full of life and joy. And when we meditate on that, when we know that uh, the joy that Christ prayed for, for us, in that moment when he was agonizing in prayer in the garden that we read even just this morning, that he says, I desire that those whom you've given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. That's what we see here in this Revelation passage. This is coming true. And as Baxter says, indeed, every word of that is full of life and joy. And he was not unique Baxter in his meditating on heaven. In fact, this used to be a common practice that uh, Calvin recommends it, Luther recommends it, all of the the Puritans say, you know, you really should just take time and just sit and not empty your mind and meditate, but but take in these words of what heaven will be and just spend time thinking about where you're going. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, we had the privilege of attending Gordon Ketty's funeral, and at one point in that funeral sermon, uh, Dr. Whitla, or David Whitla, mentioned something uh, that I found just fascinating. He said, for, for saints who are older and have been blessed with a life like Gordon's of knowing and loving and having such deep communion with God, we can only hope and pray that for them, passing from this life to the next is like opening a door and walking into the next room. It's not some great... Uh, ripping away from this world and moving into something totally different. They just know the fellowship and the communion of God that much deeper. It it sort of struck me as take time to prepare yourself knowing what heaven is going to look like so that you don't have culture shock when you get there. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if if we thought so much about the beauty of heaven right now that we aren't culture shocked when we get into heaven, that we spend so much time meditating and thinking about what it really means to have fellowship with God, that it impacts us in the here and the now, that we have hope in Christ's future light and we do something about it now. It changes our mindset. It changes the lens with which we view the world. That's where we need to be. It's hard to compete in a race or run or put up a fight for anything if you forget the, the point of the goal. That's why Paul says, right, look with the upward call, I run the race so as to win the prize. It's, it's okay to meditate on what's coming, knowing that this is your prize, because this is amazing. But we, we said we can hardly imagine a world where there isn't pain and mourning and crying, and yet, if we do, we know that this is actually a promise of God. It's okay to think about that for a while and to hold on to that promise, because you can't have strength to push ahead in a dark world if you don't think about the prize. Another quote from Baxter, he says, What is more welcome to men under personal afflictions, tiring duties, 
successions of sufferings than rest. It is not our comfort only, but our stability, our liveliness in all duties, our enduring tribulation, our honoring of God, the vigor of our love, thankfulness, and all our graces, even the very being of our religion and Christianity depend on the belief of serious thoughts on our rest. And so I encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the light of the world to come, a light so bright that that light pierces this side of heaven. And it should change the way that we live day to day. Find passages like this one, like the end of Revelation. Find passages like the Garden of Eden initially, not just the restored one. Find passages like Ezekiel and Isaiah that that sort of give us this little glimpse of what heaven will be and spend time reading through them and and meditating on them and, and thinking about the promises that are here because as Baxter says, they are not our comfort only but our stability. And when we do so, the things of earth will grow strangely dim, and we pray that they would grow dim now in the light of his glorious grace. Well, the third thing uh, that we see in this passage is that we need to fix our eyes on Christ's present light. It's one thing to fix our eyes on Christ's future light, and we need to fix our light on Christ's present light. Uh, perhaps like me, and I joked a moment ago about uh, the rapturous vision, uh, but I, I grew up learning that Revelation is just all about the future, that it has nothing really to say for us right now, that it's just a bunch of visions of, of things that need to be interpreted and decoded, and, and may, we may never understand them, uh, and it'll all just happen someday. Uh, but before I was maybe 25, 26 years old, I'd never heard of the idea of what they'd refer to as the now and the not yet, or the already and the not yet. This idea... Uh, that God has truly accomplished what he set out to do, and it's blossoming into fruition as history goes on. Some people call it inaugurated eschatology, right? That the end is there and it's, it's started now. But Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. And we can see passages like this where it's really, truly done. Uh, when we look at Revelation, this is the picture that we get. It's sort of the idea of a seed growing into a flower. It's the same thing. Nothing's missing from a seed to become a flower. It just isn't a flower yet. Right? And as we look at this vision in Revelation, we see something that is, is true in part now and will be even more true later on. If you'll pardon my giving one more uh, an analogy. Uh, we had a friend over around Christmas time, and, and uh, he said... Uh, you know, I got the worst gift. We go, oh, okay. Uh, and his sister says, or he, he said, my sister got me a gift card. I thought, well, that doesn't sound bad to me. I, I kind of enjoy that. And uh, his wife said, no, you don't understand. She's the worst. She always gives gift cards. I thought, well, that still doesn't sound bad to me. She goes, no, 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 no. She says she'll give you the gift card, but then she never does it. <laughs> right. you'll have a golf trip you'll have a massage on me it, it's coming I'll get it don't worry about it right? a, a voucher is great because you know that something's coming but when you don't get the voucher there's nothing right? but, but this passage and passages like this all throughout ought to be what we think about right? about heaven we, we have a voucher for this truth that's coming we have a glimpse a seal that eternity is on its way. And we can see it even in moments like this, moments like right now. 
where we're gathered as a church to worship and glorify God, people from all nations, the kings of the nations walking and bringing our glory in. And the gates aren't shut, right? We can come in because this is not the place for the enemy. This is the place where the king rules. And it's going to be so much more true when this day really comes. But it's also true now. And it's a beautiful thing that it's true now. We read in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see, when you believe, when you have this salvation, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in it, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the down payment, as he's referred to, the vouch safe that's worth so much more than a piece of paper, especially one that's never given. But God has given a promise. God has given the Holy Spirit so that moments like this are a glimpse of eternity. So that when we look at Christ's future light, we can actually see Christ's present light happening right now. And when John writes about the city of God lit by the throne of God and of the Lamb, fed by a river of life, feeding trees of life with nothing wicked entering, uh, he's reading the rest of the Bible it just reveals to us that he's not just talking about heaven. He's, he's talking about us. It's the church. Right? The man is blessed. Uh, he's like a deeply planted tree planted by water streams. Ezekiel uh, 47 that I mentioned earlier talks about this in terms of this being the church. Right? The bride of Christ, the city of God is there in Ezekiel and it's here in chapter 21. It's Psalm 45 that we just sang about. It's Genesis chapter 1. It's all over that this is us, that this vision of heaven is not just some future far-off thing, although that's where we'll be in glory and in a glorified state, but it's happening right now because God is transforming believers the way that he does with the promised seal of the Holy Spirit. A great blessing. When we read of the nations walking in the light of the Lamb, we can look around us and that's, that's it. It's, it's quite startling to look at Isaiah chapter 60, I put this in your outline, just some select verses from this chapter. He says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. And then skipping to verse 11. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in the procession. And later we read, the sun shall be no more your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down. Nor your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. This is, this is the seed of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And when Jesus comes, when, when the Lord himself arises upon us and his glory is seen, when he was lifted up on that cross, and he said it is finished, this is what he was referring to. He even said earlier, early on in his ministry that this is about him. That it all started with him 
coming, bearing the sins of his people, dying for his people, and inaugurating this church, this church, and the many others that proclaim the true gospel. This picture of Revelation is a beautiful future, far-off truth, but it's also a right-now truth. We look at these things. Uh, I, I stopped in verse 5 of chapter 22, but verse 6 says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. It's easy to look around and see the sin in the world and see the failing in the world and see the kings of this earth setting themselves up against God. And, and I think it's hard for us, uh, probably because it doesn't make news cycles, probably because it, it isn't interesting and doesn't make in money for, for those who would rather share something else. But, but you can look around. And, right, there, are, there are countries around the world that are outlawing abortion. There are countries around the world that are, are taking steps against LGBTQ issues. There are countries around the world and, and people around the world that are turning from old wicked ways and turning towards the righteousness of God. And it gets really easy for us to get defeatist and say, well, it's just never going to change until the Lord comes back or, well, we can do our part and I'm just going to stay right here. But actually, this is starting. Right? It, we're not just left alone as soldiers out in a jungle waiting to see what's going to happen in 40 or 60 or 80 years. Our king has won, and we are marching forth as God's soldiers. And we have to live like part of this. We can't get defeatist and let suffering hold it us in its grasp. But we have to jump up and, and be some of the first to say, it'll all be okay. That doesn't mean we can't cry now. That doesn't mean we can't feel pain right now. But that does mean we have to jump up and say, you know what? Everything is going to be okay because I'm one of the trees of life, because the Lord has given me his Holy Spirit to transform and change me. And that's why I know it's going to be okay, because it is okay right now. The nations have begun to serve him, to come, to bow down, to praise, to live by the light of the Son of God, and you and I are part of that. And so that brings us to our final point this evening, that you need to reign with Christ's light now. Reign with Christ's light now. So God is using his church to show the world a glimpse of what heaven will be. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't in control right now. On the contrary, that only happens because Jesus is in control right now. That only happens because he is the king and head of his church. And we can show the world that truth. All of these promises are true now for all believers We've been bought, we've been paid for, we've been given the seal of the Holy Spirit, and everything in history is, is crescendoing. Uh, many of you probably know, maybe not by the name, uh, but the musical piece, Also Sprach Zarathustra, or Thus Spoke Zarathustra, is probably more, more well known as that piece from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, <coughs> right, it's got the drum introduction, bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. And then everybody knows what's come, what comes next because that's what you're all waiting for, right? Every time that, that drum beat starts, that's what you're waiting for. And you just can't wait until it builds to that because that's what the piece is all about. It's not about some timpani player over in a corny, corner hitting two drums. Right? That's not what makes the piece incredible. It's, it's the buildup. It's, it's the, the glorious moment 
I guess I guess I have to do it now. Ba-da, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what's incredible about that piece. But that doesn't mean that the drum beats and the slow buildup isn't that music. That doesn't mean that, that as those beats come one by one, that you're not being led to exactly where you know you're going to go. And it's that idea that's happening here in Revelation. We are, we are at the drumbeat right now. Maybe we're closer, maybe we're even further away. But we are on this constant and steady march that is going to the place that we're all waiting for. And there's no doubt that that's going to happen. And that is a glorious moment. But to get there, we're also on this path right now that is part of that path. It's just not the same thing. It's just not the same moment. But it's the same orchestra, it's the same piece of music that's getting us there. And that's the glory of the church. That's the glory of reigning with Christ right now because we get a glimpse of heaven every time we gather as a church. And not just in Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship. We get it when we gather for prayer group. We get it when we we gather in people's homes and have dinner or games or grab coffee with somebody. Right? This is the church being the church, shining God's light defeating sin because we are under the reign of a glorious king and we are reigning with him even now this is the now and the not yet we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads and night will be no more and we will need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god is our light and we do reign forever and ever starting right now When someone passes away, we're often reminded we don't mourn as those who have no hope. When wars break out, we're often reminded that Christ is reigning right now. And those aren't little aphorisms that that should just be thrown away. They are true things that we need to hold in our mind to be meditating on the truth that Christ's light reigns now. This city, this new Jerusalem, this bride of Christ and this church is all us. Not just in the future, but right now. The throne of God and of the Lamb is among his people whenever we come to worship in the temple. (coughs) Christ's death, that is his payment for sins and his resurrection, are the cause of the brightness of God's face shining on us now. As we see his face, the Lamb is lifted up and it is that light. The Lamb is the Lamb. And Christ is how we see. Christ is how we minister. Christ is how we go forth and shine the light of a shining city on a hill. Christ is how we get to this shining city on a hill, the new Jerusalem. The lamb is lifted high. We are purchased as his with his name on our foreheads. And we are living in this conquering city and reigning together with the king of kings. This doesn't mean that we command earthly kings. This doesn't mean as much as we may wish that we can walk up to politicians and tell them what what they ought to be doing. But it does mean that when sin rears its ugly head and it pops out like another soldier that you thought you'd defeated, that you do have victory over that sin. It does mean you can encourage your fellow soldiers because we have victory. It means that when you feel conquered, you can remember you aren't defeated. You're reigning with Christ forever and ever. So keep that mentality and don't have culture shock going into heaven. One last thing that we should note. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 25, we read, the gates will never be shut by day and there will be 
no night there. It will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The gates to this city are never shut. They're always open. So as the author of Hebrews says, as today, as it is called today, these, these gates are still open. If you fear that you don't know the Lamb, that you aren't bringing the glory of the nations in to worship and serve this God, if his name is not written on your forehead, that is the one person who cannot come into the city. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you are, are willing to be washed in the blood of the Lamb who was slain and be cleansed, These gates are open, and they are always open. It is a welcome invitation to just walk into the city of the king. It's a welcome invitation to the greatest feast that will ever happen. The feast that we get the now and the not yet of this evening. We get to dine with the king of kings in the most glorious city. It starts here. It builds to a crescendo here. And in heaven, we will be there, but only if we're washed. And so uh, if you see the communion happening tonight or, or if you hear the truth of the gospel and know that that's not where you are, you should know that the gates are open and you can talk to one of our elders or to Pastor McCullum or probably with most people sitting here and they'd be happy to talk to you about the beauty that is being saved out of darkness, and being welcomed into this city. If you're here, you can take heart because the door to the city is open. And the beauty of this passage and of the whole Bible is summed up beautifully by by G.K. Beale in the end of his commentary on the book of Revelation. He says this, and this is the final thing in your outline. The major theological theme of the book is that God should receive worship and glory as a result of accomplishing consummate salvation and final judgment. This notion of divine glory is central since the new Jerusalem, or God's people, can only be defined in relation to its luminescent reflection of God's glory. Indeed, the central feature of the city is God and the Lamb who shine as a lamp upon the city so that the more complete definition of the new Jerusalem includes God's people in full fellowship with God and Christ, reflecting the glory of God and Christ. And indeed, when we do this, when we have his name written on our forehead, there is nothing else we can do but to bring our glory, our reflecting God's glory back to him because he embraces and draws near to us in full communion with us. So brothers and sisters, take hope that you can fix your eyes on Christ's future glory, and we should do so. But take hope that you reign with Christ's light now. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you that the light of your face does shine down upon your people, uh, that we are welcome, truly, in, in communion and in fellowship with you. And we pray 
that as we prepare and, and come to the table, Lord, that you would uh, remind us that, that we do reign uh, over sin along with Christ, that we have been vouchsafed by the Holy Spirit and that we, uh, as your people, have your name written on our foreheads. We pray that we would remember the victory that comes to us in Christ and that we would fix our eyes on our only light to see and to minister and to share the hope of this future city with the world that is around us. May we not forget that we are the light of Christ shining in a dark world and that is only true because you have shown the light of Christ into our dark hearts. We praise you. We pray this all in the name of the Lamb. Amen. Now turn with me in your blue psalter to Psalm 67c. Psalm 67c. We sang this before uh, Sunday school this morning, and it, it is fitting. Uh, oh God, show mercy to us and bless us with your grace and cause to shine upon us the brightness of your face so that the whole world over may truly know your way. And so that your salvation, all nations, see displayed. And so as we stand and as we sing and as we fix our eyes on the light of God's bright face shining on us, we remember that we have to take this to the nations in order to fulfill his call in our lives. Let's stand and sing Psalm 67C.